are the voyages of the starship Therapize. Its continuing mission, to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. to the guardians of the watchtowers of the west powers of water and intuition hear us fuck where have we been shift change was at 0800 and we were supposed to meet the new red shirts i mean recruits oh hello captain are you here to help me call the corners call the uh fuck we talked about this talked about what sir Remember last October when you got really into the occult? Oh, yes. And I staged a seance during New Recruit Week at our very first meet. Yeah, except you didn't tell anyone. And you terrified all the noobs, and they immediately contacted Starfleet and requested reassignment. Oh. Yeah. Guess I still would have expected Earthers to have more of a Halloween spirit. Fuck, it's the 23rd century. Who engages in spirit worship? Even for fun? Well, I... I mean, I guess we could. I am impressed to see you engaging in such... Fun. Yeah, I mean, your intonation could use a little work. But maybe <laughs> not during New Recruit Week? That is a fair point, sir. Shall we start the show and then call the quarters? Uh, sure. Hi, friends at home. I'm Justine Mastin, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Larissa Garski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer. Hail to the guardians of the Watchtowers of the North. Just a reminder to listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. So, right. you're, fe you're feeling witchy. I mean, isn't that what October's all about? I I think so. I agree. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like I have a hard time getting you to engage in, uh, in October-y creepiness. I mean, I think that's fair in the times that we have known each other. Um, when I was, when I was young, younger... Mm -hmm. Um, cause I'm not like entirely aged now, but when I was, when I was like a, you know, a, a, a spockling, mm -hmm. I was super into Halloween. Halloween was one of my favorite holidays. Yeah. What did you like to do? Um, I got really into my costumes like every year for a while in elementary school. I wanted to like one up myself. Um, so one year I was a witch and my grandmother made my costume and my siblings costume. And so like, we sort of like matched as witches and we went together and that was fun. Mm -hmm. And then another year I was really into like Wendy from Peter Pan. Oh, are and you so hurted I, Wendy? I had this like huge blue bow that I wore that I was just like super into and was very much like circa 1992. <laughs> <laughs> And then the year after that, I was a gypsy. And I mean, now I look back and I'm Ooh. like, oh, that was yeah. not super sensitive. Cringe. Um, it was kind of cringe. I mean, it, it was. It was definitely cringe. 
<laughs> it doesn't really make it better that probably I'm related to to the gypsies um, because that wasn't why I dressed up as one. I just thought it would be cool. <laughs> and it was a way to talk my parents into letting me wear clip-on earrings. Oh, yeah. And I like, I did, it was actually one of the few times that I was able to like, l- really like lean into my hair being curly. Because mm. usually my parents were, were really into straightening it. So this time I like braided it, it all like two weeks in advance and just left it in and slept on it. Oh, wow. So it was, yeah. And I was, commitment is what that was all about. And I was like super, super proud of myself. But then I think the piece de resistance of my childhood <laughs> was when I dressed up as Morticia Adams. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I got a wig and I did like face paint and I like painted my nail. It was a whole thing. Um, I was, I remember being just like very, very proud. And also I remember like that one because it felt like such a mask and such a disguise. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was like, oh, I'm like a different person. Oh. And I can like have fun in like these different ways that I, you know, I don't normally do as a, as a Spock. Oh, that sounds. Uh, that I I want to know you then. I mean, I like knowing you now. Right. No. <laughs> Fair. I'm not trading you in. I'm just looking back in the. You're just looking back, and you're like, "Wow, could we bring any of that forward?" Yeah. Where, where Where's that now? I mean, I've I've gotten you to wear costumes before. Not gotten you to wear costumes. I've got your consent. I mean, you like, got my consent, but like a lot of this, I feel like. You had to like really do a lot of encouraging. <laughs> yeah, I was like, could we dress up like Dean and Sam Winchester? And yeah. you were like, what would that entail? And I'm like, uh, would you wear flannel? And you're like, okay, all right. So I think mm-hmm. we started slow. And we then did. I, and then I was like, how about Sam and Dean from the after school special episode where you will wear a, an overalls? Mm-hmm. A janitor's <laughs> uniform, a custodian uniform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I I have it. It's hanging in my closet and my cat sleeps on it because the pant legs are so long. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I had, I had to order it from like the like big and tall man shop or something to get the So it would be long enough. <laughs> for you, for your, your moose height. Yep. <laughs> no it's true though it is i haven't really thought about it much but um for for that like for that couple of years when i was really young i was really into dress up and then then i think i i mean for a number of reasons i just really sort of let go of that i was like all right childish things are over oh i know it was yeah do you feel like that was societal or personal choice i mean I think, I think probably a combination of both. I think the Mm -hmm. way that I understood it at the time was that I needed to start being serious about my future. Oh, you were like, uh, uh, from Legally Blonde. (laughs) Wow. I was not expecting this. Like, tell me more. Um, have, have you ever seen Legally Blonde? Uh, Yeah, but it's, it's been a minute. Oh, I just rewatched it um, the other week when RBG died because it felt like the the most appropriate thing I could handle. Um, That's true. Yeah. And uh, on, let me let me look up the character names. <laughs> yeah, I certainly don't remember. Her dog's name is Bruiser. Yeah, her dog's name is Bruiser. Um, 
okay. So mm-hmm. Elle Woods, the yes. Re- the Reese Witherspoon character, is mm-hmm. in love um, with with Warner, played by Matthew Davis, who I sure. loved in Vampire Diaries. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, better with age, like a Merlot. Uh, <laughs> didn't quite see what Elle was so excited about, but but once he came back into uh, into the Vampire Diaries, I was like, mm, yeah, mm, I'll I'll take your word for that. I don't think I've ever seen the Vampire Diaries. What? I I thought you knew that. I've never I've never seen the Vampire Diaries. Shut up. <laughs> okay, so we're watching the Vampire Diaries. Because he, <laughs> we have to have conversations about Ian Somerhalder and his day drinking. And oh. I mean, not actually Ian Somerhalder and his day drinking. Okay. Um, the Salvatores and their day drinking. Oh, okay. Um, oh, A sexy last name. Oh, my God. We're watching the Vampire Diaries. We'll circle back to that. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but anyway back to werner aged like a fine wine i know oh i'm I'm so mad i didn't remember this earlier or that's what we would have done in october uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on um yeah so Elle's in love with warner and warner dumps her because he wants a more serious girlfriend oh and that's selma blair right yes that's selma blair vivian kensington Oh, Um, sure. Because he goes back east and, Mm. you know, goes to Harvard. Mm -hmm. And so he needs a serious east side girlfriend. Sure. To do the whole like Jackie Kennedy thing with. Right. Exactly. And Elle's like, I can, I can be serious. And and so she goes to Harvard and the lesson she learns is she can be both. Oh, is that she can, she can be grown up and be herself doesn't need to be and actually vivian discovers she doesn't need to be vivian kensington either who does she grow into being just like a more fun vivian a vivacious vivian like more like a viv more like a viv a v (laughs) Ooh, v maybe like she had to work up to you know those are those are like the long-term long-term goals Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but i mean that makes sense you you probably had people in your life that were like Warner. Yeah, I, I certainly did. Mm-hmm. Who were mm-hmm. like, listen, listen, it's time to put away childish things. We're not. Mm-hmm. We're... <laughs> you need to take off those clip on earrings. You can't wear them. <laughs> <laughs> they got to go straight in the bin. Oh, yeah. What a hard message. I I can relate, though. I had something similar happen when I was, um, I don't know, early 20s, probably. Um, I had a uh, a parental figure say mm-hmm. to me, like, how about you get a real job this summer? Or it would have been my late teens. Why, sure. why did you get a real job this summer? Because this summer was when I did theater. And I was like, oh, is that not a real job? And I started working and I got real into work. And like for the next long time, I was real because I went into the service industry and you can like, you can dive in and not come up for breath for a long time in the service industry. What's that about, do you think? 
Um, it's a, um, it's it's a culture. Okay. It's a it's a culture that that prizes not just hard work but overwork and exhaustion. Sure. Um, and really, I mean, it it glorifies the work hard, play hard. So, you know, it's pretty rare for someone to go into that industry and like really be in that industry and just Mm -hmm. like, just work your shift, go home, have a normal life. Right. Sure. Yeah. Like maybe some professional servers who've been doing it for 20 years, you know, and that's like their livelihood. But, um, for, for me at that time, it was like, okay, so you work, you work your shift, probably more likely you work a double and then, like, you you go party with, you know. And, uh, yeah, it just, it becomes a lifestyle. It sucks you in. And it, and you spend so much time there. It's like there's no room in your life for other people. That's why there's so much divorce and, oh. unfortunately, suicide. And uh, lots and lots of substance abuse. Yeah. You know, this is making me think of hmm. cults. You know what Very. I you know what I love? What? I love when a plan comes together. And this was this was a very rough plan, right? <laughs> like you wanted me to finish what to get caught up on HBO Max's The Vow mm-hmm. on the about the Nexium cult. And I wanted to rewatch the craft. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, what are we gonna talk about in our next podcast episode? And we were like, well, let's smush these things together and see. You know, what comes out of it? Is it banana bread or egg salad? <laughs> I like both those things. <laughs> so really, so, there was no bad outcome here. The, apparently not. No, there was, it was only winning. It was just what kind of winning were we going to have? <laughs> Although you have to, again, just like mm-hmm. with the coleslaw, you have to use the correct mayo for an egg salad. Yeah. Or it can, that could be a soggy, sweet <sighs> mess. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm just going to say this right now. And uh, for those who disagree, feel free to at us on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I don't think the Midwest is good at making what I think you and I would define as a good egg salad. Because mm. I think it tends to be too wet. I think that Midwesterners, uh, especially, you know, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, they tend to lean into the mayo. Mm-hmm. Too much. Just, too much just you know kind of as a general rule of thumb also this is like a vague memory from childhood perhaps true perhaps it was just a misunderstanding <laughs> but i think <laughs> i'm dying to know I, what, what i feel what like i have now. some memory of like cool whip or miracle whip being involved in some sort of like egg salad situation shut up and that being like a real disagreement I'm a, at some I'm like upset. larger family gathering. I, rem- I remember it must have been one of those because I remember I was really young, but I remember being like old enough to make this memory and be like, huh, why is everyone so upset about this? Um, it was probably, no, actually, I don't know. It could have been either one. Genuinely, it could have been either one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what fun. What fun. But, you know, coming all the way back around to cults. (laughs) 
mean, what you're describing, there's some real overlap in this Venn diagram, right? Mm -hmm. Where it takes up more and more of your of your life slowly, first slowly and then really fast. Mm -hmm. It overworks you, which means you're more prone to kind of being mentally broken down. Yeah. Satisfies the need for community Mm -hmm. and social connection, which is really strong for all human beings. Yep. Um. Yeah, and then pairs it with some extremes. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's something really, really great about having, mm-hmm. you know, put on an amazing event. Like I, I was in the as in the catering yeah. business, so it's like, wow, that's right. We were just a part of this person's, these people's wedding. We were just, oh wow, we were just a part of these people's wake. Like we. You know what this is making me think of? Hmm. Do you remember our old mentor, Phil? Of course. Okay, how could you forget? Um, new listeners, current listeners, pull up your chairs to another story of about Phil. <laughs> Phil was a big believer in eating during session. Oh, yeah. And perhaps some of you are like, wow, that sounds like a, a hard no. And, you know, like many situations, there was certainly... Um, there was some like gray area, mm-hmm. if you will, where like, you know, maybe there were times when it was not like super, super the most appropriate thing. But when it was working, it mm-hmm. was centered around the idea of all of us in the therapy room sharing food together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember really early on. God, because I think I think Phil ordered pizza. <laughs> he ordered pizza. For the for me. the session? Or just yeah, for, for the session. Okay. He was like, no, it was right, fair. Because sometimes it was sometimes it was for himself. And that was the gray area of which I was speaking just a few moments ago. But when it was purely therapeutic, and in this instance, I think it was both. Mm-hmm. He was like, Larissa, we're gonna order pizza. And it was like it, I was early on, it was definitely within my first couple of months. And I'm sure I registered this this face of like, what? <laughs> Why are we doing it? That's definitely not in the Starfleet code of conduct for therapy. Um, and he was like, well, you know, Larissa, having food together, breaking bread, it's a huge part of building positive attachment mm-hmm. and a sense of community. And he's like, and early on, especially it can be, it can be a way to kind of really kind of build that therapeutic alliance, build that rapport, mm-hmm. especially if you're working with clients who are not used to any type of therapy. And maybe are bringing in some real anxieties or biases. Like this can really be a part of helping them join and helping them see this as a collaborative experience. Mm-hmm. And the way this connects to what you're saying is that you were you were a part of this celebration, this like this attachment ceremony. Yeah. So you were connecting with your colleagues in a way that increased your sense of closeness and trust, probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we could not have given any voice to that at the time, but. Yeah, I mean, we, we, spoilers, friends um, <laughs> who want to have, I mean, for the future, when events are allowed to happen again, like, your servers are totally in the back eating your cake. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about your cake and rating it against the cake they had last week. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, we did shit like that. Like, yeah. and granted, the this was this was in the late 90s early aughts things could fully be different now um 
but I think probably not that different. I, I feel like the only thing that I'm thinking is different is like how much and what type of drugs are paired with said cake. <laughs> that's, that's, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, feed everybody else and then there's always leftover cake. Like, Mm-hmm. People get five tears for eighty-five people. Like, the, yeah, no, no, no one's eating all those. Nobody's tears. Nobody's eating all those tears. Mm-mm. Uh, Mm-mm. We did. We enjoyed it. We usually cut off most of the buttercream, though. Way too much buttercream. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, that's buttercream yeah. can really send you right over the edge. <laughs> but what's what's interesting to hear you talk about that anecdote with Phil is. Mm-hmm. It's this is not a place you had meant to go, or a place that I had meant to go either, but. I, here we are. I, but here we are. And I wonder if that isn't part of the feeling of disconnection people have right now because they can't go break bread oh. together. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure that's a huge part of it. Because this is such a disconnected and lonely time, mm-hmm. even for those who are, you know, out there. Out there in, in a way that, like, ooh, even just thinking about it, about it gives me a lot of anxiety right now. I mean, just for everyone mm-hmm. involved in that scenario. Even for folks who are out there, um, it's such a different experience in 2020 right now. Um, and I suppose, like, obviously there's going to be differences depending on, like, what state you're in, yada, yada, yada. I think for both for both of the states that you and I find ourselves in. So you're in Minnesota, I'm in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Even if you're out and going to restaurants or trying to like do things like going to a pumpkin patch, right? Like there's there's so many external signifiers that we're maintaining a type of distance. Right. And if we are going out and trying to break bread with people, it's often like a smaller group away from others. It's not that relaxed, together, connective experience of have this extra piece of cake. Why not? Because it's like, I don't know where this cake is from. Who, what, like, what air has it been around, <laughs> this cake? Right. Who touched the cake? What, mm-hmm. the bride and groom cut this cake with their bare hands? <laughs> their bare, ungloved hands? <laughs> were they taking photos unmasked in front of it? And like, you know, probably they were. And- if everyone was, you know, okay with that, then they get to make that choice. But are you, the caterer, going to probably not have that cake? At least I hope you're not having <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I mean, looking back at the things that I ate with with a epidemiologist lens. <laughs> <laughs> not great choices. Um No. No, I mean you know you were young. I was I was I was younger. I had a a, mm-hmm. a fair immune system, um, but this this continues to be an interesting conversation because if if we scoot on over to the land mm-hmm. of Nexium, uh, sure. And if you are unfamiliar friends at home, Nexium is N I X V M. If you want to mm-hmm. look it up, um, it always makes me think of Nagzima. It was like a a face wash back in the day. Oh, yeah. I used to love Noxima. Sorry, it's N-X-I-V-M. Next. Mm. Uh, 
whatever. You put in enough of those letters, you're going to get it. <laughs> yes, you're going to get it. They're not going to take you to Nagzima because I don't really know if that's still much of a thing. I don't know. I liked how it felt. It was kind of menthol-y. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this this is a, it's a cult. It's been in the news quite a bit. And there is the show called The Vow on HBO, as Larissa mentioned. Um and they were in the news quite a bit recently because there are a couple of um, celebrity folks who got pulled into this cult, not the least of which is Allison Mack from Smallville. And if you went all and if you all of a sudden went, oh, the sex cult. Yes, that's the one we're talking. Yes, about. that's the one we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but and mo- it's, you know, fun fact, most of the WB crew that was acting around the time that smallville was out took like at least a course Mm -hmm. from a nexium um keith ranieri they all got out except except little allison allison and her wife uh yes nikki who was on battlestar Battlestar galactica Galactica. Mm -hmm. makes me wince a little bit every time yeah yeah luckily grace park only went to like a couple things and she got out she did. I mean, it was touch and go there, right, for Grace, because like she there's they show clips of her doing this whole interview with Keith Raniere, who is the lead, who is the leader of the sex cult. Um, and he just keeps like inching closer to her on the mm. video. And I want and like, I think I actually did when I was watching it at home, say out loud, run away, Grace Park. <laughs> like, go do Hawaii go. 5.0. Daniel Day Kim yeah. is a nice man. <laughs> go over there. And luckily she did. Yes. Thankfully, mm-hmm. Grace Thankfully. Park is okay. And the okay. and the lead girl from Smallville mm. only stopped by right. for a little bit, too. Kristen Crook. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the general idea of this cult, if you are new to this, if you're, if you're just tuning in and you're like, wow, a cult? I missed it. Um, it presented... <laughs> there a- has been a lot going on in the last couple of years, so like, you know, <laughs> right. fair. You might have missed it. Perhaps you're not <laughs> as into cults as I am. Right, and spoiler alert, the captain is really in... I'm really into cults. <laughs> really into cults. Well, because, uh-huh, I, I mean, uh-huh. what's not to be of interest to me? It's all about social constructs. Yes, and it's, and it's creepy, and you love the creepy. I do. Creepy social mm-hmm. constructs. It's made for me. Um. <laughs> Hashtag truth. <laughs> so the so this place advertised itself to be a self improvement program. Ah, uh, right. You know, you go, you take yeah. some courses, you you learn a little bit about yourself, you become like a better business person or something. That was kind of what they were trying to sell, right? Um. And Keith Raniere hooked up with this lady, Nancy. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Salzman. Yep. Who's a therapist. Isn't that fun? And really into NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Programming. And spoilers, anything that has programming in the title. <laughs> yeah, you probably want to run away from You probably that. don't want to be a part of that. Um, I have tried very hard to find good solid info on the dangers of nlp and all i can find is people being like nlp is the best nlp will help you convince people to do things that you want them to do and i'm like no i want to understand why that's fucked up (laughs) but and as you can imagine friends this was not just a self-improvement program no no um 
it was a multi-level marketing scam. MLM. MLM. Also known as a pyramid scheme. (laughs) Um, Which, like, let's be real, lots of things are MLMs. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But this (sighs) one also started controlling your every movement and behavior, including counting calories. And well, for, you know, the, those who identified and presented as, as women in the cult. Right, right. Um, yeah. Which is why my brain went there as we were talking about breaking bread. I'm like, here are some people who aren't allowed to break bread. So it's oh. like, okay, stay isolated, stay isolated. Don't break bread with anybody. Yeah. Well, and, and now where my mind is going from there is that when you are that isolated, you're not breaking bread, you're hungry, it's wearing your down, you down. Mm-hmm. And from a social and emotional standpoint, you are depriving yourself from the connection that each of us is, as creatures need mm-hmm. to thrive. And so then that makes you even more susceptible to, in this case, the head of the sex cult to which you maybe didn't even realize you belonged to, Keith Raniere. Right. Yeah. Um, it. I I think it's a really well done documentary. There's a couple filler episodes. It could have been shorter, but it it could have been. But you know, but fun fun fact: they've renewed it for season two. Yes. Yeah, and I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do in season two, but no. I guess we'll get more people on their computers. Yeah, there's a lot of shots of people just working on their computers and like. <laughs> Feeling feelings in front of their computer screens, which not as even less gripping than it sounds. <laughs> yeah, but what is so cool, and by cool I mean fucked up, but to our benefit, mm. is that Keith Raniere was obsessed with documenting every second of yeah. his life and the life of every other person in this cult. So there is all this media they can pull from. Cause, yeah, cause, and they do. Right? Because the guy who made the documentary is someone who left the cult. And he was the mm-hmm. filmmaker who had all of this stuff. So, like, they recorded every uh, every one of their phone calls. They recorded every presentation they ever did. Like, there's just, yeah. there's nothing that wasn't documented. So, I mean, I aside mean, from the I'm sex culting. Probably- I was going to say, there were probably some things that were documented, but even it seems like a lot of the aspects of the sex cult were heavily documented. Mm-hmm. Not quite sure why Keith wasn't too concerned about that, but, you know, <laughs> I don't really feel a desire to go poking around in that person's mind. No, I think I, I think we could certainly find something in that psyche, but that's not our job. So No, it's not our jobs. It's... Perhaps someone else's job and <laughs> best of luck to them. But no, thank you. Um, no, thank you. My, my question to you mm-hmm. would be, it's twofold. A, sure. why are we talking about this other than I like cults? And <laughs> <laughs> sure. And uh, B, what is, the, what is the lesson to be learned here? Why are we talking about this? Um, well, I don't think it's. It's not nothing that you enjoy talking about cults. <laughs> I, but, I, I, but why are we on the Starship Therapies taking a look at yes. this? Well, in part because it's so much in, I think, our cultural consciousness right now. Mm. And so one of the things the Starship Therapies does is it like, you know, we fly over to 
whatever is most in the cultural consciousness and send ourselves the only away team to be sent, regardless <laughs> of Starfleet guidelines, the captain and the first officer down. And we try to be like, okay, like what's, what's going on here? And look at it from both a psychological and a sociological perspective. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I remember you and I talking about early on that really struck us when we first started watching uh, The Vow is how, how much human beings crave meaning making in their lives mm -hmm. yeah and i do think that this series does a good job in the first couple of apps kind of like laying out the appeal mm -hmm. of an organization like nexium because part of what it's offering to you is this is how you are going to find meaning this is how you're going to become a more aware socially conscious intelligent capable insert kind of adjective or adverb related to personal self-growth human right mm -hmm. and it really is i mean in some ways it's heartening to see how to how many people that's attractive to that there is i think something in so many of us i think in all of us that that wants not just human connection but wants wants to move towards growth mm -hmm. towards healing yeah and wants and wants meaning and craves meaning and i and i do think that you know, and now I'm going to go down my like industrialization capitalist uh, side trail for a moment and say that I think one of the things that has happened is that we're so we're alienated from each other, but we're also alienated from our work. Say more like like way, way, way back in the day when we were just like humans be bopping around in, in small groups. Mm -hmm. um, when any when the actual word tribe would be appropriate. Yes, when the actual word tried would, would be appropriate. And, you know, who you, your friends and your family and your workouts and your eating and your clothing were interconnected and interwoven into the fabric of, of your tribe, of your community. Mm -hmm. And there was, there was an increased sense of integration of purpose. Whereas in our modern society, what we've seen is many things are now, they are spread out and disconnected. So I'm not like running through the woods from a panther holding <laughs> one of the small human children in my tribe trying to get them to safety, mm -hmm. which is a workout and meaning making and terrifying. I am at, well, or I was, I'm not anymore, but I am like at a gym running on a treadmill listening to music mm -hmm. or a podcast. That is taking my mind away from what my body is doing. Sure. And our work sometimes, I think, or oftentimes is really separate from our human connections, our families, our communities. I think one of the things that we, that as therapists, we're really fortunate in is that we have so much more of a direct relationship with our work mm -hmm. and with the people that we work with right because of the nature of therapy mm -hmm. whether we're in person or over a screen we're talking with our clients we're listening to them how we're showing up how we're working we see the the impact in real time whereas like i don't know like i'll use our producer as an example his work is almost the product that he works on as an engineer he doesn't he doesn't have a connection to the person who's benefiting from that project sure. And he'll talk about sometimes how it's not what's most rewarding to him is when he builds tools within their like database and mainframe that his other colleagues can use because he likes seeing how it makes their 
lives easier. And then they come up and they tell them that they appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And that that's what makes the work feel meaningful. Mm. And I don't think, I think, I don't think we have as much of that in our modern world. I think it's hard to get more of that integrated, like I'm working on something with other people and it's a project and I have a unifying theme that we're working towards. And am I describing a cult? There's some overlap there. Yeah, there is. Well, because you you're tapping into that. Because if mm-hmm. if you watch some of this video of Nexium stuff, like people come in and they're like, "This is kind of weird," but then yeah. they see other people benefiting, and they're like, "Maybe I could benefit," and then <clears throat> they are able to both be helped and help others. Yeah. And yeah, it taps into that desire for the collective good. Mm-hmm. And even though there might be parts of you that come in and they're like, this is weird and it's maybe a cult. Like, yeah. bigger parts are like, yeah, but this feels great. Yes. And I trust this person who's already a part of this organization. They feel genuine and in an emotional, from an emotional lens. In many, like in many, like they very much make the case in the documentary that like, yes, those human connections were real. Mm -hmm. Like they were your friends, like they did become your family. And so then you opened yourself up to giving them the benefit of the doubt about all kinds of things. Right. Including the, the so many red flags that you were building a sex cult. (laughs) Right. Right. And I I want to be really clear that we are not trying to yes. shame the people that no that were drawn into this or even Mm-mm. that brought other people in because the thing is they were only experiencing what they were experiencing other than the folks at the top. Right. They, you know, like like Allison Mack. Uh um, and I feel like there's stuff we could talk about with Allison about you know, we were texting about this over the we were. over the weekend like at what point did she stop having agency mm-hmm. and like she did stop having agency yeah we we as humans like to think that you know no one could ever take away our agency but like we we can be broken down we can and this gets us into you know a, a not not really like a, a side trail, but more like one of the general themes here. This gets us into IFS, right? Mm-hmm. Internal family systems, which, as I understand it from you, one of the things it seems to posit is that acting from a place of conscious agency mm-hmm. is in fact quite hard for human beings to do. So not like acting solely from a place of choice. E- Yes. So um, the the person who I did my level one training with um, calls choice one of the... So there are a bunch of C words associated with the self, like curiosity and compassion and calm. Um, and she includes choice in there. Choice was not originally in there. Um, but that choice is an act of self, mm-hmm. you know, to to make a real conscious and mindful choice is an act of self um and we're we're not we often aren't acting from self yeah and i don't know where the fuck self would be in the in the situation of nexium it 
Like it probably pops up every now and then. But mostly I feel like I feel like somebody like Allison Mack is very much in a part or in yes. all the parts. <laughs> well, and it does seem like what Nexium's goal was perhaps using well, I don't I don't know, perhaps using the powers of neurolinguistic programming. Mm-hmm. Or hypnotic language, I suppose this is another phrase that we could apply here. It's designed to it like at least amplify moving from parts. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if at times it's not even downright about like trying to insert other parts. Oh, create parts. Create parts. Oh, that's an interesting idea that I had not considered. I wonder how much work IFS has done with cults because that has everything I like. <laughs> certainly does. Might have a new niche. But you might have a new niche. We should perhaps we should contact uh, one Richard Schwartz. <laughs> Yo, Dick. Mm-hmm. How much work have you done with cults? Almost call him Dave. I almost called him David, but I didn't do that. This, I'm next really, time, this I'm time. really proud of you. Proud of Thanks, you. I'm working on it. Um. <laughs> No, that's very interesting because you you create a part that is essentially the Keith Raniere part. And so anytime you go to do something, the Keith Raniere part pops up and is like, yeah, but the, is that, you know, in line? Mm-hmm. It, right. It, it, is this what's best for you? Right. And then the way that it, it became like needing to those who were in like the closer kind of like inner circles, mm-hmm. it became about having to check with Keith mm-hmm. as if Keith were the self. Yeah. As if the entire cult was a body and Keith was the self and everyone was like, oh, we must defer to him. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this too is perhaps part of the allure for the cult for some folks, because it is... It's like the freedom of, of not having to worry about agency anymore. Oh, you're giving, you give fair. it up and you're like, oh, I just know I'm doing the right thing because this other self is telling it to me. All this anxiety, all these fears of tapping in and listening in different parts and blah, blah, that's all over. I can submit to a higher power. And I think that there is something about the human psyche mm-hmm. that gravitates towards that kind of maybe even submission yeah and oh some of our listeners at home this may be we may have entered an uncomfortable part of the conversation and if you are experiencing discomfort that's okay pay attention Mm -hmm. it means Mm -hmm. your parts are trying to tell you something um but this very much that feels like aa to me yeah well it's religion yeah you know like i don't want to like offend folks for whom religion is important but like we talk about in so many things there's there's a shadow and there's a light Mm -hmm. right but there is something kind of freeing about and i've i've talked to clients of mine who've come out of Mm -hmm. religious sects um and have trouble sort of becoming finding their own self and then following that self because they're like but how do i know what's right Mm-hmm. I no longer have this leader or this teaching or this book yeah. that is, you know, the the rules, the self, the leader, the guide. Yeah. How can I be those things? Right. And like, I even like, I think about like, sometimes people will, you know, express 
this feeling of like, sometimes it was easier when I didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find my center. It's hard to find my compass. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is hard. It is. Yeah. Like it was easier when dot, 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 even though mm -hmm. like, yes, some things were easier, but obviously you were, you know, unhappy being taken advantage of. Insert all the right. reasons that you are no longer in that situation now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but we do. We're, we're meaning making creatures and we crave it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we get that feeling like this might be the thing that is our meaning. Almost fucking fly into it like moths. Yeah, and we hold we hold on real tight. Mm -hmm. Right, even when when faced with evidence that like maybe this isn't okay, and then we're getting yeah. into some psych that we're not going to get into today, but uh, around mm -hmm. why people dig in so hard, even sure. when they are shown, mm -hmm. yes, that like hey, you know, to use a religious example, like hey, do you know that the religion you're practicing the the folks at the top believe certain people are bad. Do you as a human believe those certain people are bad? No, I don't. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you make sense of yeah. that? This is making me think of the book when prophecy fails, um, that was published in the mid 1950s. Oh, and it looked at a small, uh, UFO religion mm. cult, um, that took, took place here in Chicago. And goes into what happens when the when literally when the literal prophecy fails, like the aliens don't come and pick everybody up. Right. And that there is and that as you're saying, like some some people that they just they dig in all the harder. Mm-hmm. Like a variation. Or it's connected to another psychological term, the sunken cost fallacy. I suppose it's more like so the sociological, philosophical idea of a sunken cost fallacy that like you've committed so much that even though you're miserable, you're like, well, I better keep going. Oh, that's that's the Bikram yogis. Right yeah. there. Well, and that's that's a lot of like think like, you know, dysfunctional or abusive relationships mm -hmm. that you stay because you're like, but I've invested so much time, energy. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. for the Bikram yogis, it's uh, it's ten grand to do their their basic teacher training. Yeah, right? I mean, once you're ten grand in, and man, that is that is a pod for another day. That Bikram is... is a fucking trip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, you it probably ditto here with with the nexium folks like you're paying for every one of these classes and then if you decide to go on the quote striped path which means you know sort of like karate you start getting you start getting sashes you sure do um you know you're you're paying for each thing it's like scientology right like you just mm -hmm. you keep paying and paying and paying and moving up this ladder to question mark yeah and actually on this i mean i've seen the craft so many times over the years but on this watch through mm -hmm. it's one of the things that struck me as being the least compelling and believable is that once you it's like like the 35 minute mark already the coven starts to disintegrate 
<sighs> yeah. And, I mean, and we could really go into like all the problematic elements of the film that I'm going to just put under like the umbrella of that like many films of the 1990s began with interesting ideas, had like a middle, and then they, they took the turn to like conservative reactionism. Right. It was like, was their it was like third act. Mm, let's, <laughs> let's blow everything let's up. Just, <laughs> blow everything up and just double down on like, we really need things like uh, the gender binary and independence, and we should not have strong witchy women coming together. No, this is a real problem. Um, so, <laughs> it's a real problem. And <laughs> I think that they actually could have still had that conservative ending, but told it in a in a different way. And definitely, if anyone was like, hey, Loris and Justine, would you like to rewrite the craft? And they're not going to because they've already done a, a remake. Right. And, <laughs> the remake is you know, coming that's, soon. That's a talk for another day. But I just didn't, I didn't really buy it that these girls who'd come together, they were having these amazing magical experiences, would by the sheer force of Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> I mean... Just disintegrate and turn on each other. Like, I believed that it would be a stressor. Sure. But I didn't believe that it was going to be enough to just, like, break up the group entirely. No. Also, can we just talk <laughs> about how Skeet, also a well-aged Merlot. Yeah, and I mean, no, that's totally true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely a well-aged Merlot. Um, back in the day, I was like, Skeet? Eh. Then on Riverdale, it was like, Skeet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always thought that Ke- Skeet was, like, pretty okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely when I was comparing him earlier today with Riverdale Skeet, I was like, God, there is just no comparison. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel that way about uh, about Luke Perry, too. Mm. Oh, I loved, I loved a 1990s mm-hmm. Luke Perry. But yes, he, he also aged well. Um, he did. Yeah, I I had similar issues on this rewatch of The Craft with, it it was, oh my god, I remember when I was younger that I was like, this ending is stupid. Like, I remember having that feeling, but I couldn't articulate why. Mm -hmm. And now, like, on this rewatch, I was like, huh, so we're just really trying to say that women shouldn't be friends or have power. Is that what i'm is that what i'm seeing yeah and i mean from a class perspective too which i definitely was not Mm. aware of and using when i first engaged with the film back in probably like fifth grade um it also has some like really uncomfortable things to say about class and race because the only person who ends up being okay is the white upper middle class girl who's just a natural witch So very much in parentheses, you know. So like the Nancy, who they they dismiss in one scene, is just being totally right white trash. Uh huh. Rochelle, who's the only only black character in the entire film, Mm -hmm. and and Bonnie, who like I think that they're trying to have her kind of fill in as a. I don't even know what they're trying to have I think her she's do. Try- I think they're trying to have her be like a person with a disability. Okay, sure. Yes. You know. Uh, a, a differently able person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But all the rest of them, it's like, oh, they were just, they were just the worst. You know? <laughs> know? They were like, hashtag bitches be bitches. Am I right? And I was like, no. <laughs> no. No. Oh, God. And you know what? Now that we're talking about it. 
Um, yeah. Christine Taylor, who who is a delightful actress, who played uh, Laura Lizzie, the the racist. Yes. Um, she mm-hmm. gets a redemption arc. <laughs> she does, as does mostly Skeet Ulrich, who also is a perpetrator of rape and slut shaming. <laughs> Right? Why like do they, they totally get... turn <laughs> right? They and they totally turn into like actually, you know, like Sarah, Nancy, Rochelle, Bonnie. Didn't you kind of do this to Skeet? <laughs> it's like no, they cast a love spell. That's it. Right. That's all they did. Right. Everything else was just in his nature. <sighs> the way that it expressed it. Whew. But no, he gets a redemption arc too. It's like, oh, it's kind of sad. Like inside, maybe he, maybe that's the softer side of of Skeet. <laughs> like I'm, sh- I'm sure, had we had more film or more films, and he didn't get thrown out a window, we could have explored that. But from sure. all we knew, him and and Breck and Meyer and their other friend. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it makes sense that we never really see their other friend cast and much else uh, post craft. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't do much. Um, no, he didn't. Breckenmeyer though continues to be a delight. Does not disappoint. delight to this day. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it the the, me- the message is just so ridiculous. Oh, like yeah, it is. people out. They, warning everyone: people outside the mainstream are dangerous. <laughs> Yes. Don't get too involved with them or they will mess up your life. <laughs> right. I, so there are parts that I love about, about this movie. Um, the biggest mm-hmm. one, of course, being that it's from the 90s. And it's from, it's from firmly in 1996. Yeah. So like. I was going to say, yeah, right smack dab in the middle. It was right there in, in, my, in my sweet spot in my wheelhouse. I loved all mm-hmm. the boots and. Yep choker necklaces fashion's very oh, you it was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i thought to myself you know justine you could wear this if you wanted to right now yeah you totally doesn't matter could. that you're a woman in mm-hmm. your 40s you wear whatever the fuck you want that's right that's right so, i don't know next time you see me maybe i'll be <laughs> you'll be going full nancy i'll be wearing and I think so many great. chains <laughs> so many chains you know this would this never occurred to me back when i first saw it, but it did occur to me now um, that when I saw the chains, I was like, God, that is just a recipe for a migraine right there. <laughs> you know, two and a half hours with those chains that Nev, or those chains that Nev Campbell was rocking. I was like, Mm-mm, could not do that. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. But I did love no, that. And it does. And I loved all the occult. No, sorry. Yes, the occult was great. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the few movies that it does. I think it does attempt to take witchcraft semi-seriously mm-hmm. it tries it tries um <clears throat> it, it and it does and I, I give it some real solid effort points because it it tries um and it and it does like it pulls some of the symbols like you just they it, they stay with you like that scene where they're they're driving down the highway and nancy's like changing the stoplights mm-hmm. Just visually, that that's visually that's a great scene. The actress who plays Nancy is just like doing a great job. Baruka Balk, Baruka Balk. Mm-hmm. Really, I think she is she is carrying this film. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it's oh. What were you gonna say before I interrupted you earlier? It's gone. I'm sorry. It's, it's totally okay. It's like lost oh, to the sands that of was time. The other- <laughs> 
as I said, I'm sorry. I remembered the thing that hit me like a like a bat in the face when I watched it this time. They're all Canadian. Sure. <laughs> oh, they and are. And they all say, I'm sorry. Oh, that's real cute. That did not hit me like a bat in the face, but there we go. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, Canadians. They're all Canadians in their mid-twenties. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That was real. I think I was going to say probably something that, like, I, I do feel like the film does a good job of throwing in interesting symbols and archetypes. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what it does with it is, you know, the gentlest way I could put it is I wish they'd done something different. Yeah. But I do appreciate that all of that's there. And I think definitely as a kid, I was able to engage with the film and be like, I'm just going to rearrange so much of what they've put in and create a different kind of story for myself. So this time I was surprised to to notice that at the 30 minute mark is when like they start disintegrating. Mm -hmm. Like my recollection of the film is that like for the first hour and 15 minutes, (laughs) they're just a wonderful group of friends. (laughs) supporting each other on their spiritual journeys Mm. and then i was like god that's not oh okay yeah but i love that young you (laughs) was a therapeutic fan fiction expert yeah i mean in that sense i think so i would never have thought of it that way but i I did that a lot you know we've all already talked about my secret garden fanfic (laughs) Uh yep yeah the the Skeet should not have been enough to tear this party apart. Also, they no. became mean girls like in the course of a, a minute and a half. Yeah. Like, Bonnie, you're just so self-centered now. And she's like, you're just a narcissist. Like, I'm beautiful now. So sue me. Like, yeah, No. And like I believe that some of that would have happened, but it was just so it was so extreme, and the, mm-hmm. and there was no no middle ground was portrayed, like nothing else, like all the other parts of Barney were just gone. Oh, right, and Rochelle just wanted this girl to stop being so racist. Why did why right. did she go crazy? And yeah, it just felt like they were like, okay, Rochelle has served her purpose. We're we're sort of done. Mm-hmm. Also, we and really I, we really punished that racist, so So we should feel sorry for her now, because look at her, she's she's lost her hair. <laughs> How sad for her, her symbol of white beauty. <clears throat> no, it was not great. I also didn't like the way they like yes, they needed their fourth to call the corners, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um the spells were great. And apparently they had a real Wiccan consultant on site oh, who was helping with the spells. Good. And that too, like, it felt like it definitely infused, I think, the whole film with a lot of, like, really fun power, mm-hmm. which, you know, ultimately, ultimately we've named the ways that we would have liked it to have gone differently. Um, and adding to that list is that I did not like the way that all of a sudden they were like, all this is happening because of you, Sarah. I'm like, no. At one point, I think I said out loud earlier today, I was like, no, all this is happening because the four of you have come together as a community. (laughs) You've each brought something unique, and now you've come together. Mm. And that was the story that I wanted them to be telling. Yeah. Yeah. They could have told such a better story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's... 
And then turning and like, you know, then just totally fridging Nancy. I mean, for all intents and purposes and turning her into just a hysterical woman that's locked up. That mm-hmm. was. Uh. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I had so many questions ab- about when you brought up socioeconomic status. Like we we mm. hear, well, we see that, you yes. know, that Nancy clearly has a lower socioeconomic status. But then like yeah. everybody else seems to be just very wealthy. Because they yes. all have these huge homes in the Hollywood Hills. I mean, aside from Sarah's yes. house having a leak in it, like, mm-hmm. it's a huge home in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes, it is. And even in the 90s, that like that was not that did not come cheap. Right. I know they wanted, like, our interpretation was supposed to be like, oh, how, how creepy and what an old home. Like, it's huge. And beautiful. All those roses. Yeah. Like... And L.A. doesn't care about the quality of the home. It's the it's the square footage. <laughs> yes. And they had a lot of space. <clears throat> right. And poor Rochelle doesn't even get a parent. No. I mean, as we found out earlier when we were doing our research, Rochelle and Bonnie don't even get last names. <laughs> nope. They were just Rochelle and Bonnie. Mm-hmm. So the differently abled person and the black person, no last names for them. <laughs> Which, when you say it out loud, just doesn't feel very nice. No, it doesn't feel very good. Oh, they had a Wiccan consultant, no. but not... Uh... <laughs> not an inclusivity consultant. No, that wasn't, that, that wasn't or... around yet. No, no, they certainly could have used one. The other thing that struck me, and I'm certain it was because I was thinking about it in terms of uh, the occults and cults, mm-hmm. is that at the end... When, like, Sarah has her sort of, like, you know, tree branch showdown with Rochelle and Bonnie, (laughs) she keeps referring to he, he's not happy with Mm. you. Which just really reminded me of all the different videotape conversations that I've seen on The Vow when they're like, you know, he's not happy with you. Keith isn't happy with you. What have you done to Keith? And I was like, oh, God, Sarah, have you just, like sold your soul to the spiritual version of Keith Raniere? Manon equals Vanguard. Vanguard equals Manon. <laughs> right. Also, and this is only for those of you, those of us who studied French, every time they said Manon, this time all I could think of was the film Manon des Sources. <laughs> what is that? It is a French, it's considered to be a French classic film. <laughs> And I watched it a number of times in high school French class. Uh, Not my favorite. Oh, Manon is an opera. Oh. I, wow. d- I just Googled Manon. Okay. Uh, Manon, the craft. <laughs> Our, your options are the opera <laughs> and the craft. And the craft. Yeah, and it just, it didn't. They started with Manon is nature, Mm -hmm. you know, with that like sad God and the devil playing football, which I remember (laughs) as a kid hearing that for the first time and being like, I don't understand this. And I don't understand why Nancy is using this as an analogy. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder, like, was this just because the two writers were dudes? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, you know. The two writers of this were dudes? Yeah. Just ruined my childhood. Well, my teen years. Um, so I just looked up the, the meaning of Manon mm-hmm. as a given name. 
It means beautiful queen. Oh. And I gotta wonder, why isn't Manon female? Well, if we're going to give it a gender, which, I mean, at this point, I'm like, no, we don't need to give it a gender. But I appreciate that, you know, in the world we were living in in the 1990s, 1995, 1996, and with a like a film that was being made more or less in mainstream Hollywood, that they did need to give Manon a gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why isn't it female? The fact that it's not, again, feels very Keith Raniere. <laughs> right. They're like, OK, so all these women are doing this stuff, but... But they're getting it from a right, dude. Right, and this needs to be about a man. So we've got Skeet. Mm -hmm. Ah, ah, the fight was never over Skeet. The fight was over Menon. Yes, I think that that's absolutely a very valid way of, of reading it. And my hunch is the writers would be like, yes, exactly. <laughs> and to that, I would say to them... Meh. Friends, it's it's time for us to meet at a Zoom meeting, and we're just we just need to have some talks. because <laughs> uh, mm, if if Skeet is an embodiment of Manon, I got a real problem with the oh yeah the football field. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I guess that makes sense why it's a football field now. Your football field's kind of rapey. Well, and we're coming back to in many ways where we started, which is this tension between the individual and individual good and collective good, the communal good. Mm -hmm. And that for all, I think, and I think necessary criticism that are many like critical conversations that we're having right now, particular in America about the ways that our, the American mainstream culture's obsession with the individual is problematic and we're seeing that play out in real time with how we're handling collectively things related to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think the flip side to that, or maybe in addition to that, to that it's, it's useful to hold on to that, that, that this extreme individualism that we see in this country very much is a, is a reaction to the feudal system mm -hmm. of the European continent. Which was like your whole life was depending on how you were born. You were either like sitting, you know, better. Mm. Drafty castle is still a drafty castle, right? But like you're either sitting like better, relatively speaking, or everything you are, everything you own, like your your complete physical self mm -hmm. is given to your feudal yeah. lord. I'm laughing because I'm remembering <laughs> just eps and eps and eps ago. When I put in the script, Larissa explains the feudal lord system. <laughs> yep. And you were like, huh. <laughs> that's, that's my instruction. <laughs> yep. And, it's, and it's, a, it's an instruction and a gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I... I uh, what I'm what's coming up for me right now is what I mm -hmm. want to offer to our friends at home is we are inviting you to be mindful and pay attention. When something feels meaningful to you, mm -hmm. take some time to, to do some self inquiry and maybe some community inquiry. Mm -hmm. You know? Just because something feels good doesn't necessarily mean that it is serving you well. 
And unfortunately, because of homeostasis, the tendency mm -hmm. for human beings to want to recreate their environment, um, we tend towards things that feel familiar, even when those things don't serve us and often when they are harmful. So it may feel good, I'm using quotes, but it's not that it feels mm -hmm. good, it's that it feels familiar. Yeah. And I'm really glad that much earlier in the app you gave voice to the fact that it it it's our intention to have this be a dialogue and an invitation for inquiry rather than an expedition into the dungeons of shame. Mm -hmm. Um because I think it it can be it's hard to navigate away from shame mm -hmm. when you're sitting with the realization that you just kind of invited folks to, to sit with potentially, which is like, oh, I'm recreating an environment that was really harmful to mm -hmm. me. I didn't realize I was recreating it. I am recreating it. And you know what? Part of me has a real attachment to it. Yeah. I And... It can just really, I mean, it doesn't take much to then like shift from there to there must be something really wrong or broken about me. Just not the case. No. No, it's just, it's such a hard message. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think of the folks on the vow and the, the folks who got out and I hope that they are getting really solid, really clinically experienced therapy yes um to to recognize what it was that drew them in mm -hmm. because yeah. you know there there's lots of I, and i think that's what i would like to see in season two but that's that's what would be interesting to me and it's, uh, it's all about me um <laughs> but... <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, it's so true. So true. Because um, I feel like so far the quote unquote experts we've seen little blips of, they're like, it's narcissism yeah. or like, you know, that's what brings people into cults or, you know, Keith Ranieri is just this magnetic, amazing presence who's also kind of a sex <laughs> god. And I'm like, did you not see the videos him playing volleyball? <laughs> like, oh my God, the 3 a.m. Okay. volleyball. The 3 a.m. volleyball. Like, this is not the... IRL cult equivalent of Skeet Ulrich <laughs> in Riverdale. That's not what this is. No, no, it's really not. This is wow. Like the the dude does have a high IQ. That is documented. And sure, brains can be sexy, but but sexy. it's not that sexy. It's it's what he's selling and how he's selling it, and and to the people who need that. Yes. And, and I can't believe it took us this long to get here, but it is very much like it's, this is the shadow side of fan fiction, my friend, mm. because the person that like, especially I'm thinking about the women who are in DOS that are the higher level members, excuse me, like Allison Mack and I'm forgetting the name of Nancy Salzman's daughter, but her, da I'm daughter thinking of Salzman. as well, daughter, daughter Salzman. <laughs> They have created an entire character. Mm. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, they have created a character mm -hmm. that they internally call Keith Raniere. And they have put into that character all kinds. They've made him this fulfiller of all kinds of wants and needs that they mm -hmm. have. And now they have projected that onto real person. 
Right. Keith Raniere. And I do think that like Keith Raniere and I guess Mother Salzman, Mother Nancy mm-hmm. Salzman really worked very effectively to harness the power mm-hmm. of real person fan fiction. Right. Yeah. All the all those wonderful things you feel about me, those are true. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those are all true. Believe those. Mm-hmm. Believe those. And the bad and the bad right. things you've heard, those aren't true. No, take that out of your narrative. Mm-hmm. And what a seductive thing for him to be like, oh wow, I really And he like he believes it mm. too. I'm sure he does. He believes all these all this fan fiction about him. Well, sure. It's I mean, it does seem as though he has some narcissistic tendencies. Um I I can't diagnose anyone I've never met, but Nope. But (laughs) he does seem to have them. And yeah, yeah, for someone who already has that in their presentation to then be in this situation where everyone is constantly affirming you. Mm -hmm. I mean, your self narrative. Of course, would would start to shift because when he started this Mm -hmm. cult, he was a. He was a failed MLM president from another MLM. God, that's right. <laughs> yep. He was, you know. He, yeah. He he's just a dude who's a like. He's a grifter. Yeah, like that's. Yeah. Uh, if we were to write a story like that, would mm-hmm. be his description. Keith yeah. Raniere. Two-time grifter. (laughs) But that doesn't feel good. It feels much better to be Keith Raniere, sex god. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I'm sure that's what he believes about himself. Yeah. And what's, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm so glad we got here as well. Um, Sometimes it takes, you know, sometimes it takes us a while to. That's right. Long and winding road. Get to the heart of the matter. Um. But I see this in my office Mm. a lot with people and their relationships that that they have that they have fanficked people in their lives. So much. To the point where they expect their loved one to show up in a certain way and are disappointed Mm -hmm. because that person did not fulfill their fanfic expectations you know so if if you have fanfic your partner to be a to be a sensitive person who's just misunderstood and that's why they act out Mm -hmm. then then you'll work so hard to make that relationship work yeah even if the truth is maybe that sensitivity that you have written in that maybe that wasn't there. Maybe they're just not that kind to you, mm-hmm. which is a terrible reality. Yeah, it's a very hard one, mm-hmm. but also really important to recognize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think about it with I'm thinking about it in particular right now with couples and couples that come in where it's not quite discernment counseling, Mm -hmm. discernment counseling for folks who don't know, or couples who come in and they're like, hey, we're really thinking about divorce. We're not sure. We want to use this couples therapy over the course of the next like 
couple of months, let's say, to explore the options, the pros, the cons, the what mm-hmm. have you. Maybe it's like what I'm thinking of. It's not couples who come in clearly wanting that level of of counseling around the possibilities of divorce, but it's couples that come in with really entrenched negative patterns. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the reverse of what you're talking about. Whereas like, it's not that they see each other as they haven't written this wonderful fan fiction story about each other. It's that they've written a story of a fan fiction story about how like this person's actually the worst. Sure. And these are all the ways that they don't show up and they never show up and they're never going to show mm-hmm. up. And, and this is what they believe about me. And this is mm-hmm. their intent. You know, when, when they leave a cup out on the counter, what that actually means is, is yeah. fuck you. They're saying fuck you when they leave a cup on the counter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having that kind of narrative under everything, mm-hmm. it's, it's, oh, God, it's just impossible to walk through the world. It makes it very hard. It makes it, it makes it very hard to be open to any kind of change because mm-hmm. you've, you've written, when you've written your partner as the villain. Yeah. Because you just, even those, th- those times where, and now we're pulling from narrative therapy, this idea of unique outcomes, when they're showing up in ways that don't match the real person villainous fanfic that you've written for them, you're, f- you're far less likely to see it. Right. You don't see it when the partner washes the dish. Because mm-hmm. it just, it doesn't fit with what you're, you spent so much energy looking mm. for. And you only have a certain number of spoons. <laughs> Wow, we have really just like brought it all together here at the yeah, end. Which we're now we're in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> With the cups, the spoons, and the saucers. <laughs> and uh the rock salt in case you need to do a salt mm, circle. Oh yeah. That that was the other thing that warmed my heart watching the craft. Like not only did I just love the occultiness of it, but it reminded yes. me of my own I've mentioned this on the pod before, my own little foray into the occult as a younger person. Um, And it was very interesting to me for a number of reasons. I mean, one, of course, is that in the 90s, there was a big resurgence of occult stuff. And so, Mm -hmm. like, even in my small town, there was an occult store. I mean, it was was two towns over, so you had to drive. But it was fun because it was like an adventure. Oh, we're going to, oh, God, what was it called? Ant? Annie Aunt, Aunt Annie's herbs or something. Um, I I know that Aunt Annie Anne's is is a is a pretzel provider, but I think it's the same name. <laughs> oh, sweet! It sweet is. It Annie's certainly herbs. is a pretzel provider. Sweet Annie's herbs. Sweet. I wonder wow. if they still exist. All right. Um, shout out to Sweet Annie's herbs in Center Hall, Pennsylvania. Um. But yeah, we would we would drive out there and like I didn't know how to do anything, but you know, everything smelled good and was mysterious and yeah. And it right. and it did. It felt like it felt like the potential of meaning. Yeah. And and so much playfulness and mystery and we don't we don't lose our desire, our attraction for that as we get older. We just have less and less access mm-hmm. to it. Now, maybe now I want to do witchy stuff. I mean, I'm down. So what are some of the uh, tidbits that we w- went over today? Um, We talked about IFS, Internal mm-hmm. Family Systems. 
we did did a little bit of time with archetypes in the sense that we named we used that term. <laughs> um, we spent some more time around the idea of attachment theory, the importance of community um, and meaning making, and then we talked a lot about the occult and Wiccans. Oh, we did talk about narrative therapy. That's true. We did talk about narrative mm-hmm. therapy. Yeah, and and we stuck very firmly today in the realms of the craft and Nexium's the vow. We did, and I'm actually kind of impressed that we that we did do that because there's so many other places that would have connected, but we mm-hmm. stayed focused. We're really very focused. Right. Mm-hmm. We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. One day under the full moon, we shall jam again. Join us for our next ep. Winter is coming. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. Just a reminder that our book, Starship Therapies, Using Therapeutic Fanfiction to Rewrite Your Life, is now available for pre-order from your favorite booksellers. So order yourself a copy, or two, or three, and share the news with your social networks. And as always, friends, live live long and and prosper. prosper.